hear the story of the birth of Christ as it is written in the Gospel of Luke. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in that same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward all. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem to see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all that heard it wondered at these things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. Thank you for being here and for sharing your Christmas uh, with us tonight. We're glad you're here. Would you pray with me? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Amen. So the Pew Research Center just released a new study in which they timed 50,000 sermons 
from more than 6,000 churches across denominations to see how long sermons actually last. (laughs) Turns out the median length of a sermon of the ones they studied was 37 minutes. That's right. One pastor they talked to said he needs at least 40 minutes, sometimes 50, to delve deeply into his themes. So buckle up, my friends. I've got some lost time here to make up for. To be honest, I wonder whether sermons of any length really make that much difference. By Wednesday, I have forgotten my own sermons. But I'll tell you what I do believe makes a difference. Congregations like this one that gather on Sundays and hold the levy against the cynicism and the despair pushing in around us. Congregations like this one that stubbornly insist on being a voice of hope and mercy in a hard world. And it is a hard world. Can I say that tonight? In this season of such joy and celebration, can I say that while we have much to be grateful for, we also have much that burdens us. I think sometimes we don't want to spoil the party this time of year by admitting that despite the smiling faces on our Christmas cards, things aren't always going so well. Some of you have had bad news this year. Some of you have lost someone dear to you. Some of you just feel a little lost yourself. And we don't always know how to hold both sadness and joy together. And I wish we were better at keeping two opposing ideas in tension, knowing that both are true. How much healthier our world would be if we could admit that we are all both sinner and saint, that this world is both miraculous and tragic how leaving my shoes around the house is both annoying and endearing. (laughs) There's something in us that wants things to be all or nothing. But if we're going to find joy in this world, we must search for it within the imperfections and the frustrations and the disappointments. The refund always comes the same week the furnace goes out. The child graduates the same month a grandparent takes a fall. We pause to watch the snowfall while all the day's tasks scream for our attention. We will find our diamonds in the rough or we will not find them. It's also been a hard year, I think. And whatever our political leanings, we can all agree that it's a sad time for our country. And it seems almost every week a new report confirms the damage that we've done to our planet. And there's the violence, which has always been there, but never before so random and never before at our fingertips in real time from anywhere in the world. And into this hard world, at the end of a hard year, comes Christmas. 
As many of you know, Clover and I, we were interviewed by Channel 7 for a segment they did on the meaning of Christmas. They also interviewed the Jeffra family, members here at Montview, and a few other people. And it won't surprise you that the brilliance of our insight into this question was surpassed only by the eloquence of our words, <laughs> 95% of which they cut out <laughs> to make more time for the Jeffras and their adorable kids and whatever. <laughs> but it gave me time to think about what Christmas really does mean to me, especially this year. And I decided that I think Christmas is about something in our past, but it's also about something in our future, and maybe most importantly, something that's unfolding right now. First, the past. We know the story that some 2,000 years ago in the middle of nowhere special, a poor peasant girl gave birth to a child. And ever since, some have claimed that somehow, impossibly, that little baby was God slipping into the world. Who knows why? Maybe so we might see the face of God more clearly. Maybe so God could know what bones feel like and then know in the depth of those bones what being human feels like. Maybe so that we could know that God knows our pain and our sorrows with the intimacy and the tenderness of one who has been there too. The incarnation, the embodiment of God is not something I claim to understand, but I do claim to love it. I love the idea of it, I love the paradox of it, the possibilities contained in it, the thought that those little fingers and toes somehow belong to God makes me strangely joyful, makes me appreciate being alive in this world and makes me feel less alone in it. So Christmas is for me first about something past but it's also something about our future. When we sing, Come, O Come, Emmanuel, all through Advent, we are partly looking back to that first Christmas, but mostly we are naming a longing for a world yet to be. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind and bid envy, strife, and discord cease, and fill the world with heaven's peace. Christmas is a kind of prayer in the spirit of Isaiah and the other prophets as a vision for a world where all that has been broken is healed, and all that has been lost is found. You know, some hurts in this life, they don't heal, not fully. And some problems, despite our talents, we cannot solve. Some burdens we will carry our whole lives. 
And in Christmas, we proclaim our faith in the coming, the advent of a world still beyond the horizon where all is restored and all is made well. And maybe that sounds naive or wishful, but the difference between wishful thinking and faithful thinking is in our honest assessment of the world as it is. Faithful thinking accepts what is ours that we must carry now and we believe. With God, there is always more to come. And finally, there is the meaning of Christmas that unfolds for us now. The opening of the Gospel of John says this about Jesus. What has come into life, into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And later in John's Gospel, Jesus says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So it's common in church to think of Jesus this way. We have the Christ candle that we light every Sunday. Tonight we have a special Christ candle in the Advent wreath. But in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he looks out at a crowd of poor peasants and he says, you are the light of the world. And he encourages them to let that light shine. And I wonder if maybe Jesus meant by this that it's through us now that God slips into the world. That God's incarnation is not just something in the past, but something that happens every time we let the light of Christ shine through us. Let me give you an example from an unlikely corner of the world, college football. Last week, a young man named Joe, Joe Burrow won the Heisman Trophy. And in an emotional acceptance speech, he talked about growing up in the poorest county in Ohio. And instead of focusing on himself, he talked about the kids there. There are so many people who don't have a lot, he said, as he fought back tears. And I'm up here for all those kids in Athens and Athens County who go home with not a lot of food on the table. And that was a simple act in many ways of compassion, of thinking about others. And I doubt very seriously that he thought of himself as sharing the light of Christ. But that's the thing about light. It doesn't seem like much, but even just a little bit can change everything. After Joe's speech, someone was moved to start a fundraiser for the families of Athens, Ohio. And then the, the donations started rolling in. The last I checked, people had given more than $500,000. That's a lot of meals for hungry kids. That's a lot of light 
in this world. So what if we really did walk this earth with the self-understanding that we are the light of the world? What if you believed that every time you offer some small kindness or mercy, every time you manage to withhold a harsh word, every time you put the needs of someone else before yours, a little more light comes into the world and Jesus is made flesh again. Try it. I promise you it will change the way you see things and it will change the way you act. That first Christmas, God came to us to be with us in our suffering. And someday we pray a Christmas will come where there will be no need for suffering. And each day in between is our chance to step into this hard world trusting that the light of God is still breaking and to take every opportunity we get to add to it. That too is what this night is all about. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. <laughs>